The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide with your friend and mine, the uh, the world-renowned, uh, very highly acclaimed... <laughs> He's encouraging me to go. Keep, keep going, going, keep going. Yeah. It's Howard Linsky. Everybody knows yeah. him now. The local lad, Howard yeah, Linsky. Yeah. Let's just skip all the formalities. Yeah. Yeah. Good then to you, see you, mate. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm good. It's good to have you here. Uh, the last time we did this, uh, you were you were just in the grips of COVID, but I you was. still did this. I, I struggled on manfully. You I mean, because frankly, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I just didn't want to give it to you, so that's why we did it remotely. That's but, very kind uh, of other you. Other than a bit of coughing and a bit of... Uh, you know, uncomfortable, uh, flu symptoms. Apart from that, I was fine. Well, glad that you've made a, a recovery and that you're here now with us Thank you, mate. To, to help us once again navigate the waters of, of, of movie land. Uh, and what we do with the film guide is we look at Howard's choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week. We also find a film that Howard has deemed too good to be forgotten, and it's a belter this time around as well. I tell you now. Uh, but uh, before that, we'll look at um, new releases on the streaming services. But before that, we'll start with the cinemas. So there are two new releases in the cinema that we're going to be talking about uh, to begin with. Um, wh- where are we going to start? Yeah, I guess we should start with 3,000 Years of Longing, which is an unusual movie. Um, and it I should preface it by saying it has gone down not very well, it seems. It's absolutely bombed box office-wise. Um, in America, uh, it's a George Miller movie. Oh, Mad Max! Uh, Mad Max, indeed. Yeah, so it's a it's a dark fantasy film, as it's described, and it's based on uh, a novel by E. S. Byatt called "The Gin in the Nightingale's Eyes." Now, the gin, if it's pronounced that way, is not spelt like the drink. It's D G I double N gin, as in genie. So it's a genie in a bottle story, and it stars Idris Elba as said genie and Tilda Swinton as the woman who releases him, but then is a bit worried about making a wish because she's heard all these all stories about wish fulfillment tend to go horribly wrong you know all the fairy tales about being granted wishes um either the genie fools the person who's making the wish or the person wishes for something unwise and their life is um forever ruined so uh he then tells her stories about his life his very very long life because he's obviously been imprisoned in a bottle for many many years um dating back into the you know the midst of time um, and uh, the, the trailer looks bonkers, frankly. You know, I mean, I'm sure it's probably quite entertaining, but I kept watching the trailer thinking, who's this aimed at? Who's it going to appeal to? And is it not a bit of a limited audience? And uh, I, I'm not just saying that with hindsight, that was my first reaction. And then I Googled um, just to find out how it was doing. And, uh, you know, it's already been described as a, a box office flop in the US. So it's coming here with that reputation. But, you know, give it a try if you like that sort of thing. So Aladdin for adults, would that be how you could describe it? I think so, this? yeah, yeah. All right. Sounds like it. Um, and poor Idris Elba then, he's not having a great run of things, is he? Because he's got another big film in the cinema at the moment, which has not been greeted with love either. Yeah, I mean, all I can say to poor Idris is, mate, did you get paid? Yeah. Yes, I got paid. Are you still a movie star? Yes. Keep going, pal. <laughs> well, he has got another movie coming that is more highly anticipated, which is the big screen adaptation of Luther, isn't it? That uh, comes out well, later this year. I, I should suspect there'll be quite a lot of people going to see that. I'd love to see the demographic that goes to see that because uh, he's pretty popular with the ladies, is he not? Yes, yeah. So. yeah. Uh, but yeah. yes, the 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 feature film version of Luther. I'm imagining something like the feature film version of the Sweeney, or you know those oh. those seventies things that made it onto the big TV stuff that made it to the big screen. Yeah, because well, because the Sweeney had a more modern one as well. I thought that's what you meant. Oh no, well, I was um, thinking of the the two the two movies they did in the seventies. Yeah, they were really good. Well, yeah. from memories, they were really good. But um, there, there was a a Ray Winston version of the Sweeney, wasn't there? About yeah. four, ten years ago, maybe now. Less good, shall yes, we say? Yes, yeah. they didn't do a follow-up to that. No, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but yeah. So um, the the beast is a uh, beast is out on general release at the moment. It came out a few weeks ago. Um, but the film we're talking about this time around with Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton is uh, called. I've lost the name. Three thousand years of longing, which <laughs> should also go. be known as it'll take three thousand years to make its budget back. Right? Yeah, there you or go. Home they should go whatever. with Aladdin for adults. Yeah, they should, but shouldn't they? I, I'm just yeah. surprised that it's um, the, the Mad Max bloke because mm. uh, I, I don't know. I would have thought this was a little bit out of. Well, yeah. saying that, he also was the guy behind Happy Feet, the uh, the thing about the dancing penguins. 
And there wasn't much slaughtering going on in that, was no, there? No, no. So he goes from Mad Max to dystopian Happy stuff. Yeah, he was the producer of Happy. Feet. I don't know why. I mean, I I agree with you. I, I get confused when directors who expect to do one thing do another. But I don't know why we should because you know they're directing a movie, they're telling actors what to do. They probably have more than one interest. But we do tend to think of directors as being in a genre. You think of um, Robert Rodriguez, and you think oh, he's yeah. sort of very Tarantino esque, and he's yes. done those sorts of vampires very, and all that stuff. Very, yeah. very. Uh, not adult movies but very yeah, movies grown, for grown yeah, ups yeah. and then he's also done some of the biggest children's films of, of oh. recent times he did the Spy Kids um, series and yeah, and, uh, yeah. But, but yeah you know I guess they can have more than one string to their bow yes a bit of variety there you go okay uh, so that's uh, one of the new releases this week 3000 Years of Longing the second uh, new release now I think I saw a trailer for this quite a long time ago yes uh, so technically it's a 2021 movie um, but it's only been, just getting a cinematic yes, release yes we always talk about it as planes circling the airport waiting for a runway don't we to catch up with all the Covid delays um, this one looks a little more promising looks so like, it's called The Forgiven mm, yeah sorry I should start with that one shouldn't I because I got sidetracked talking about planes circling so it's called The Forgiven um, it stars Rafe Fiennes Jessica Chastain and Matt Smith so it's a pretty good cast and uh, Rafe and Jessica play a married couple David and Joe Henninger who are travelling to Morocco um, ostensibly to uh, as um, Rafe puts it in the trailer to go to a party 500 miles to go to a party it's a very long way he says um, but they're also they've got a strained marriage um, a strained relationship and uh, so they're hoping to work things out and just as they get close to um, what appears to be Matt Smith's place for his party, um, in the night, they accidentally hit and kill a young man. And uh, Rafe, being not, not a terribly nice chap, tries to cover it up. Um, but word soon gets out. And I, I've only seen the trailer because obviously I'm talking about a thing that is coming out now. But uh, it's a, a sort of dark tale about the fact that the um, family of that man, who seemed to be potentially quite uh, tough and possibly even vicious uh, turn up wanting justice and there is some debate about what kind of justice do they wish to see enacted um, could they be paid off for example um, or are they looking for an eye for an eye or are they looking for worse than an eye for an eye uh, as in cutting Rafe up into small pieces perhaps so that is what you get in the trailer um, it also kind of had a it reminded me a little bit of a Patricia Highsmith adaptation, that kind of vibe. Yes. You know, um, the one the one that, uh, I've forgotten the name of it, but it was set in the Greek islands, and there's also... The Talented Mr. Ripley? Well, and there's also the Talented Mr. Oh. Ripley, but there was one set in the Greek islands, and I'm sorry I can't remember it off the top of my head, but um, but it had that feel about it, like dark things happening to possibly unsympathetic characters that you don't necessarily, you know, fall in love with, but you, you care about what happens to them. And I would have thought with that cast... Hopefully that one's worth seeing. So, yeah, maybe that's the one for this weekend. The Two Faces of January? That's the one. I remember watching that and being really disappointed that it was nowhere near as good as it as it I promised. know, I did. It was quite slow, I found. Yeah. And quite long and quite predictable. The, the trailer yeah. made it look really good. It did. Thinking to it yourself, did, you know, yeah. wow, you know, talented Mr. And I really like Ripley, the movie. Yeah. You know, and uh, I thought that was very well acted, great cast, uh, well directed. Um, and a thoroughly enjoyable movie. I've seen it more than once, and it gets just gets better when you watch it more than once. But I don't really want to watch that. No, it's no wonder I forgot the title of the movie because it was it was quite forgettable generally. Yeah, and and did it not have in it somebody that was was it Viggo Mortensen? Yeah, yeah, it was Viggo Mortensen. Was it somebody also from Mad Men in it? Oh yes, uh, was it J- January Jones? In fact, I, you know, it might it might well have been. Yeah, because there is a femme fatale. They both. She's married to Vigo, and the young man falls for her. And uh, yeah, listener, we're doing this live. We're you know we're, we're busy googling trying to find yeah. out. So, so um, I think you could be right. Kirsten Dunst is listed as the co-star. Oh, so she's the one who was the um, femme fatale, was she? You know, I must be. Do you know what? I think there was another film around at the same time that had uh, January, January Jones, Jones in it. There was a while there where all the Mad Men cast had just finished doing Mad Men, and they were all being picked up. So. Um, Drive had a, a madman uh, woman in it as well. The uh, again, I forget her name, but the auburn-haired office manager ended up in Drive. Oh, in a very um, different. Um, yes, that's the. Uh, yeah, 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 Christina Hendricks. That's the one, actress, Christina yes. Hendricks. Yeah, well done. I knew I could rely on you to refresh my memory. <laughs> it's age, mate. You see, when you get to my age, you can't even remember your own name, let alone anybody who used to be in Mad Men. Is that it? <laughs> that's um, it. Yeah, the, the, the thing that um, 
I, I seem to remember as well. Well, the, the the memory that this this trailer conjured up for me as well was. Do you remember a film in the late eighties called I think it was called White Mischief? Oh yes, with, yeah. um, Charles, Charles Dance, Dance and Greta yeah, Scatchy. Yeah, Greta Scatchy. Yeah, and that had a that was feel. In Kenya, wasn't it? But it, yes, yes, I had that was, feel for him. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, br- this idea of being a bit British of an expat and, in a posh suit yeah. and, and having cocktails delivered to you to so, so, on every hour on the hour and um, living the life of Riley until things go wrong. And White Mischief was about a real-life murder case, I think, wasn't it? Where, I believe you might be right, um, yeah. Because that whole Kenyan expat community was quite famous for affairs and adultery, and people didn't mention it, and it was all covered up until the day that it wasn't, hmm. and uh, someone was killed. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to mention about, about this particular movie, about uh, The Forgiven, is Matt Smith, because has he come a long way from Doctor Who? Oh, no, yes, yes. He's in the new... Um, Game of Thrones Targaryen thing, isn't he? Yeah, with the most ridiculous haircut I've ever seen him sporting. Yeah, so, yeah, but uh, that's going to be massive, isn't it? It's only been out for a week or two, but yeah, I think he's one of the main it. characters in it. He isn't is, he? yes. Uh, he was in The Crown for a while. He played yep. the Duke of Edinburgh um, in that. Uh, and did you see a film last year called Last Night in Soho? Oh, do you know what? I've got that to watch on. You uh, saved on, I think, Amazon Prime or something. Right. I was going to keep me to buy it, and I think. It was only on near me for like a couple of days because there was a lot out that week, so I didn't get to see it. And it was, yeah, it looked good. It very good, very yeah. good indeed. I think it might have been. It might have had a very limited theatrical release. I think it did. I think yeah, it was, was a, problem, big, yeah. a big streaming release. So I keep it. wanting to see that. So on your recommendation, I'll tackle that. Next, oh yeah, yeah, because so he's really it. good in that. Ah. Um, and uh, and he also he played Charles Manson in a in a yeah. film called Charlie Says, and uh, yeah, he's know, having a moment as we he, say, he, yeah. but he's got a dark side. Mm. He's got a dark side. He does that well. I mean, people talk about David Tennant and how well he is. Yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt Smith, I think, is every bit a one to watch as well. Agreed. Um, so yeah. those are your uh, new releases for this week then. The Forgiven and 3,000 Years of Longing, yeah. both out on the 2nd of September. Uh, but let's talk about a movie as well that's still on general release that we yes. have both recently seen. Yes. Now, I, I tell you what, I'll give my opinion and you can absolutely shoot me down in flames and tell me what you think. But... Um, I, I went with my daughter to see Where the Crawdads Sing. Do you want was, my opinion on that? Uh, yeah, if you like. Was that uh, How do you feel about that? Is that okay? Well, I yeah. actually take her out every now and again. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? You need to shake it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, we like to go to the cinema. And then even if we don't like a movie, we enjoy picking it apart afterwards. So that's a, that's the thing we do. But yes, um, so went to uh, good old Campus West in Welland to see Where the Crawdads Sing. Now, um, not normally my kind of thing. And the reviews were pretty scathing, apart from the fact that they more or less universally said that Daisy Edgar Jones was good in the lead. Mm. But there was a lot, you know, it was a little bit schmaltzy, it was a little bit unrealistic, a um, little bit painting by numbers perhaps with the plot. And uh, what I'll come to later also, there's a bit of controversy involving the author of the original book, which I don't know if you're fully aware of or not. I know something of this, yes. Yes, so that, so that was interesting. So so basically, one of those movies you look at and go, do you know, I just fancy a night out, so we'll go and watch this movie. But I did find myself enjoying it, and I don't know if it was just relaxing there, a bit like when I saw Death on the Nile. It was one of those, it looked sumptuous, and I just enjoyed watching it. Now, there were absurd bits, you know, where you thought, really? Mm. How could that possibly have happened? J- just going back to the look of it, though. Um, I yeah. Think- yeah, Death on the Nile. You're talking about the Branner version, are you? Yes. So, yes. so I think that had a, a, an almost a fantasy feel. Yeah, a bit to it CGI, because, perhaps. Because it to. was, it, but it also it, it was kind of evocative of an era that perhaps maybe it wasn't really quite, mm. you know, in reality wasn't quite like that. It looked very shiny and glamorous yes, and, yes. and sumptuous, the, the, and everything about it just dripped with, with, with sort of, you know, another one involving opulence. hot places and cocktails as you float yeah. down the Nile. So you have a yeah. bit of escapist and, stuff. So. And, and whereas this, <coughs> it. it it did also look beautiful and sumptuous, but it, yeah. I thought it was very. Um, it felt more real. It yeah, felt, I, see what you I mean. could believe yeah. it felt more believable. It was grittier as well because she yeah. was coming from a poverty-stricken background, and of course, again, lots of that you would sort of pick apart. But I don't know. I I went with low expectations and enjoyed it. I guess if I'd gone with high expectations, I might not have enjoyed it as much. But sometimes that can happen. I find. Um, we're almost like critics because we talk about movies a lot and we watch a lot of films. Mm. But I find the critics do go in with a very sharpened cynical pencil and they sort of tear things apart and then sometimes I watch them and go oh, actually it wasn't that bad it was, it was actually quite entertaining yeah so I, I we think go. when we when we discuss movies though, we're, we're looking at it from a slightly different perspective I think and, so and uh, we, yeah we're, we're well, not will a person enjoy it is, is my perspective yeah. not 
you know, would the Times or Guardian film critic give it three stars out of five? You know, yeah, yeah. Not, we don't we don't often discuss the cinematography or the no, you know the, no. these sorts. Although of, it was good in this movie, yeah. <laughs> as we've just said, because yeah. it was well well filmed, well shot, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, would you like this movie? I guess it depends on your outlook. But I thought it was an an, an enjoyable night out to watch a movie that was entertaining. And then on the way home, I was going, yeah, but that movie was a bit daft. And how on earth could she have guaranteed that happen? And why did you know? Mm. Why would that guy go along with that? But I still enjoyed it, despite its faults, if you like. So I, I did as well think that, I don't know if this is a fair comment really, but it felt like it borrowed a bit from mm. something else. I'll mention what else in a moment, but it, it, it really felt like... There was a Gregory Peck defence lawyer type thing going exactly on, wasn't there? Is that the one you think yes. of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he even looked like him, spoke like him, yeah. dressed like yeah. him. So, it was yes. very evocative of To Kill a Mockingbird, yes, set in the that. same sort of time, yeah. give or take. And in this case, it was a young woman who had been prejudged. Yeah. She was white, but obviously yeah. that, that whole theme of um, and the you've been judging lawyer. her all your life and we all have we've been ignoring her and been mean to her yeah but you know let's not judge her now and all that so yes i get what you i mean it was ev- evocative um or a homage to or they were ripping it off whichever or whatever outlook I mean, you I want i don't think it, i did i don't think it was ripping it <coughs> off it harks but, back to that but, even, but i that think kind of i don't think they made any effort to steer away from comparison the filmmakers to, to, to that part a, of the movie it's the not filmmakers picked an actor who looked dressed and sounded a little bit like that character I yeah. thought so yeah. they wrapped it up if anything and he was very, he was very good yeah David Strathairn played yes, he the, is good, the yeah. part and and he you know very very softly spoken but every word had purpose to it and yeah. and he was very genteel but but he was he was also strong and firm and yeah. so all the co- those the elements scenes of, I thought were quite good you know where they rip apart the evidence it's always like yeah. that anyway where yeah. you think oh there's a lot of evidence against this person and then they debunk quite a few of it so. yeah and and yeah Daisy Edgar Jones was was, was really captivating I think so she's very watchable um, you know she she obviously got a lot of good um, write-ups for normal people which was the massive lockdown hit for the BBC and on the back of that she then uh, went off to Hollywood so I think she has done herself a favour by it. and the movie's done well I think box office wise critically mm. not so but I guess they would like it that she's way she's also in a TV mini series that's on Disney Plus at the moment called Under the Banner of Heaven and oh, I think yeah. um, I think she might well have been nominated for an Emmy Award for oh. her part uh, because she well she plays the, the, the victim she plays the person who's murdered in it right at the right. beginning but then you see her all throughout the series in flashback uh-huh. and so she's in it quite prominently even though she's killed like, straight away yeah. uh, and uh, she's in it alongside um, the Spider-Man bloke the, oh, Tom Hollander? Is no, the other, other English Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire? No, sorry, no. The, the, other, the other one. The other one. The Engl- when you said English, I realised I was saying Tobey Maguire. Um, Andrew, Andrew Garfield. Garfield. Yes, yeah. so he plays... Yeah. And it's too many Spider-Men, let's be honest. It's just and how many are British? Yeah. Can't the Americans find their own? I know. Anyway, yeah, he, he so this thing, Under the Banner of Heaven, it's He's about good, a true-life murder in Utah, in Salt Lake City in the 80s, and it's all to is do... It, does he play a Mormon detective? Yeah, he's yes, a Mormon I detective, and it's yes. all entrenched in the Mormon community, right. and it's, it's is it a faction of the Mormons? Is it, you know, ah. who's involved, who's responsible for this brutal murder? And she is brilliant in it. She's yeah. so good. She's and, very talented. And she's just just as compelling in in uh, in this movie as well where the yeah. core dads sing and if you've if you've read the book because it is quite a popular book and you know, howard's looking at me slightly shocked here. there are other books out there not just yeah yours. I, I, I pointed out earlier i don't have time to read books no. i write them i mean no. gosh you know you bust yeah. holiday to read yeah. a book <laughs> so, yeah but so it was um D- delia owens uh, wrote yeah. the book and if you go back just a few letters on the bookshelf you'll then find howard linsky's books yes as you well. will coincidentally so yeah. they are close yeah. To, they to, are. to this but but the adaptation uh, it does capture you know sometimes they're nothing like one That's another true. I've not read all of the book yet I'm, I'm only part way through it but yeah. it, it really it does seem to be very close to it if it seems to use the same technique in, in the jumping backs and forwards in time yep. to tell the story and it you really can imagine the um, particularly Daisy Edgar Jones in that in that yeah. part, and of course, you know, there's been a lot of press about it um, because the author and her family are still wanted to be questioned about. Um, I wouldn't say involvement in a murder is probably too strong a word, although they are being classed that way in certain publications. But there was a person was murdered in um, a part of Africa where they had a, um, uh, a place set up for wildlife, a wildlife park. And uh, they, they say, well, there was nothing to ask us about, and we've gone, and that was years ago. And others say, ah, no, you didn't. We need you need to come back, and we need to ask you a few questions. So the press ran with that all the way through this 
story being out, there were articles about the fact that there was a murder, which sounds a little harsh on the author. You know, there was a murder in the vicinity of where you used to live, and uh, we need to ask you some questions, almost implying that, uh, you know, you're writing a um, a murder mystery, and because you're not, you know, you're you're a a person of ill repute, but there's no um, there's no proof of any of that. It's just that there was coincidentally a murder on land that they had. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. So yes, um, I, I've just found a, a thing here, um, and it says that yeah, the officials in Zambia still want to question her yeah. about this this 1995 shooting. She, I think she might be. Uh, already said of the view that that was quite a while ago, and we were questioned at the time. And this is all, of course, has obviously come back out again mm. because of the launch of the movie. And they go, ah, oh, no, no, we still want to ask you a few questions. Well, you've left it a while. Yeah, it's probably. <laughs> 27 years well uh, so this this statement here it does say about apparently the the uh, zambia's director of public prosecutions has said there is no statute of limitations on murder in zambia um in in reference to her saying this is for a very long time ago you know um but anyway yes a bit of intrigue yes it certainly added uh, controversy to the the launch of the movie okay so where the core dads sing it's still out at the moment and also it has been on at the odyssey cinema which is where i saw it so you can even get it locally as well Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time now to look at new releases on streaming services and there's just one to talk about this week. I'm not quite sure which platform this is on, but it's called Love in the Villa. Yeah, um, that I, I did have a version where I didn't write Netflix on it, and then I altered it, but I also didn't save it. So I think it is on Netflix. So it's on so Netflix. Okay, so apologies for that. Because no, no, I'm right. just looking at it myself going, where did Netflix go? <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably me not saving it, then printing the blooming thing. So it's Love in the Villa, which sounds like right up my street. <laughs> it's a romantic comedy, which I'm not an expert on, either romance or comedy. Um, it's about a young woman who takes a, a trip to romantic Verona um, in Italy after a breakup. Um, she's a, a hyper-controlled kind of person, not very spontaneous. Turns up in Verona on her own without the boyfriend, obviously, she's broken up with, only to find that the villa she reserved was double-booked and she has to share her vacation with a cynical but obviously handsome British man. Um, and, you know, romance ensues. Well, arguments then romance because they can't start off liking each other from the, the beginning, can they? There'd be no drama. No. Um, so this one's got Cat Graham for the Vampire Diaries in it. And Tom Hopper, who I am familiar with because he played Dickon Tarly in Game of Thrones, Samuel Tarly's brother, who, uh, spoiler alert, was roasted by Daenerys at one point with the dragon. Oh, um, he was quite a big fella, wasn't he? Yes. And he had a tiny little head. Uh, well, I, I don't know, actually. But, but yeah, I wouldn't dispute that if that's what you're saying. But he also plays Luther Hargreaves in the Umbrella Academy, who was a very big guy. Um, but if you've seen the Umbrella Academy, you'll know who I mean. And if you haven't, you've got you'll have no idea. Is that worth watching, by the way? Because that good, keeps yeah. coming up as being a recommendation um, for it's me. It's bonkers in a good way. So again, it's something I watch um, at home with uh, the teenage daughter who likes it very much, and uh, we we chat about that one. It's um, wacky, in, um, but but sort of fun and irreverent. And the music soundtracks on all of these Umbrella Academy seasons are always terrific. So whoever picks the music um, is good. Picks they pick old classic stuff and do cover versions and they they, they rock yeah. oh I, I do like that sometimes mm. um, okay the only interesting thing I could find to tell you about this film is that the person who plays Cassie in this movie who is listed third in the in the credits yes. is Tom Hopper's wife yes I, I checked that I thought oh surely surely they're related and um, they are so yes he, he must have gone yeah I don't think I want to do a rom-com oh okay there's a part for your wife well alright then <laughs> yeah <coughs> but so, yeah so this is this is a Netflix Cheesy. film which mm. I think can either mean it's going to be uh, you know in heavy contention for Oscars and things yeah no or, I've seen the trailer or it's unlikely to be in heavy contention for Oscars that's right or it's the old um, straight to DVD this yeah. is the modern version of straight to DVD <coughs> it might be a Richard Curtis style 
okay. thing, you know, schmaltzy and uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, straight to DVD with the old version probably. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's Love in the Villa, which is out on Netflix, uh, and it comes out on the uh, oh, in fact, that one's out on the first of September. Uh, so uh, there you go. That's uh, those Squeezed are your releases. Early. Yeah. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. So it's this point in the show where we look at uh, Howard Linsky, highly, acla- very highly acclaimed local author. Enormously Hawkins. highly acclaimed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we look at a film that he has deemed too good to be forgotten. And we go to 1986 to uh, a classic British gangster movie. Yes, yes Mona Lisa. Yes. Now, quite often I ask you if you know the movie I'm going to mention, but I knew you'd know this one. I know you've seen it. And uh, we both agree it's a bit of a classic, this one. So <clears throat> it's um, filmed in the 80s and set in the 80s, and it stars... Bob Hoskins, who is always good but occasionally brilliant, and he's very, very, very good in this. This one and Long Good Friday are the two I tend to think of as as his um, best movies. Um, it's a Neil Jordan movie, uh, directed by him as well as co-written by him and David Leland, and uh, it also co-stars Kathy Tyson and Michael Caine. So Bob Hoskins' character comes out of prison. He's a low-level gangster. He's done seven years inside, and he, he's looking for um, some. Uh, reward for being loyal by his boss, played by Michael Caine, who gets him to work as a driver and a bodyguard for a high-class prostitute called Simone. And uh, initially, these two do not get on terribly well. There's a lot of friction between them. But after a while, they start to see each other's perspectives, if you like, and start to become very fond of one another. And he pretty much starts to fall in love with this this younger woman. Um, So much so that she persuades him to go effectively undercover a little bit in London to find a missing girl, someone that she knew when she was working as a prostitute on the streets before she managed to make the move up um, the chain somewhat. And so that is the plot. Um, a lot of it then is just really about the the, the acting of the main protagonists and the, and the uh, interaction between the characters. The script's quite sparkly. Robbie Coltrane's in it as well. He, he's a... Um, the uh, the guy who plays the friend of Bob Hoskins and um, yeah, it's it's just very good it wafts over you and um, I think it was a real slice of 80s Soho if you've ever if you're old enough to remember what that place was like back then it was pretty sleazy and uh, this shows that world quite well yeah and and uh, there is um, it is slightly evocative of, of the Long Good Friday. Um, Except that in that he's kind of he's far higher up the food chain. Yeah, than definitely he's the boss in that, and this yeah. one is very much not the boss. He's the guy they've almost forgotten about because he's been away for seven years, and he's yeah. a very, he was always low level even before he went inside. So Michael Caine, um, quite you know fair play to Michael Caine because he plays an unsympathetic guy in this, in a in a small role, but uh, but nicks a couple of scenes that he's in. But yeah, okay. it's worth a watch if you like gritty crime stuff, which I obviously do. And you'll like this. The uh, the film critic Pauline Kael described Bob Hoskins. The play, she said he was very ruthless in this, and he was like a testicle on legs. Ah. <laughs> that, that's something to put Fair on enough. the poster, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's that's tremendous. That's a great quote. <laughs> but he got nominated for best actor, didn't he? Yeah, he uh, did. The Oscars and, uh, for this role. Unluckily for him, he was up against Paul Newman, uh, who'd been nominated about seven times at this point. So. Paul Newman just edged it. Yeah. For uh, the colour color of money, I think it was. And uh, one of six movies where he was, appeared alongside Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, we always refer to him as the governor. He's the governor, he's Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the other, was, there was another fact I found about Michael Caine that I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, Bob Hoskins was unaware that Michael Caine was in the movie until he arrived on set for the first day of shooting. Oh, wow. uh, Caine had created the ruse while they worked together on another film uh, called Sweet Liberty, and he told Hoskins that he'd been offered the part, but it was too small, and he was tired of playing villains, even though he had already agreed to take the role. Oh, so he kept it as a surprise, and then on that day, <laughs> it turns out, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Mona Lisa, and, and it... I'd forgotten it was Neil Jordan, but as soon as you say yeah. that, it has that feel. It feels a it bit does, like yeah. the crying game. The crying game, game exactly. Yeah. Um, and that similar thing of a kind of, both those movies have a lead actor um, playing a slightly misfit guy who doesn't quite fit in, who then finds himself falling for someone he wouldn't normally fall for without spoiler alerts on the crying game. Because if you spoiler alert, uh, the, if you spoiler the crying game, then you should be imprisoned, yeah. I think. Yeah, but, it's um, a criminal offence it is a criminal offence to spoil that one but yeah so those are themes that recur and it has a sim they have similar endings as well actually yeah 
Um, so uh, that's Mona Lisa. Uh, that is uh, the film that Howard has deemed too good to be forgotten. Uh, and uh, that was uh, Bob Hoskins from 1986. Yeah. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Well, we've reached that point in the show where we look at... uh, we look at our film guide in this instance howard linsky the incredibly highly very acclaimed uh, local author who's got uh, two books out this month well said sir yes i yeah. have yeah <laughs> uh, and, and we look at his choice of films on uh, free to air tv for the week ahead we start off with uh, friday the 2nd of september guardians of the galaxy 8 40 p.m bbc one yes was this really so long ago 2014 but um, this is the this is all Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. But it was a bit more fun and irreverent. I mean, they're always fun and irreverent. But this was a kind of a borderline bordering on comedy. Um, so the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, including uh, Groot um, and uh, his his mates, they go around uh, the universe saving it from things. Um, and what I, I sat, again, I sat down at the time with low expectations of this one. Just thought, well. It's a, it's a. I think we watched it on DVD at home and thought oh, it might be entertaining, and it's got all sorts of people in it. Chris Pratt's in it, Zoe Saldana's in it, Dave Bautista is that how I'm pronouncing yes, it correct? Yep. Uh, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, um, and they all seem to have chemistry together, and uh, you know it's, they have a lot of fun and there's the usual action. So it's it's just very Marvel, I suppose. Yeah, and and I mean some big names, in, kind of very low down in the credits. Yeah. Glenn Close is in it. Uh, Benicio del Toro. John C. Riley as well, who's uh, reliably good. In yeah. Things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, oh, Karen Gillan as well was in it. Oh yes, that's right as well. I yes, um, yeah, and but isn't this just such a fun movie? It is. It's great fun. It's yeah. it's action packed. It's fun. It flies along at breakneck speed, and and it's it's got a great sense of humour to it as well. It it it, it really is a. The, the epitome of a Saturday night fun movie, yeah, uh, albeit on a Friday training. night, but but no, it's it's that kind of thing. It in a way, it, it reminds me tonally of um, the J.J. Abrams' first Star Trek movie, oh, which yeah. I thought ticked all similar boxes. I thought that was superb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 just rip roaring fun sci-fi. Yeah, didn't take itself too seriously. No, but, but not so silly that you don't. That you think they're being um, disrespectful to the yeah. previous versions of things, yeah. and one of the great <clears throat> parts of this movie as well. I mean, Chris Pat Pratt was perfect for the the, the starring role, and, and he, he had just the right sort of um, you know sort of chutzpah, and he, he had quite you know his his sort of quips and what have you. Yeah. And, you know, he was great. But it was the soundtrack. They used some great music oh, in in yes. the soundtrack to this, yeah, which played whole, a part of the story. It is part of the plot. It's yeah, an important. And they played seventies uh, and eighties music that. Uh, yeah, you, whenever you hear those songs now, you think of the movie. Yeah, yeah, strange, hooked on a feeling hooked on now. Hooked on a feeling, you, absolutely, yeah. 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 All, all this music from, from that golden era. Yeah. Um, and uh, I believe that there is a third movie. Uh, it's heading, Yes, next year it's going to be... Yeah, I heard it was in development, but yeah, uh, yeah hopefully... Uh, because orig- initially, I think that Disney, who now own all the Marvel stuff, dropped the director who was oh. very much the creative uh, person behind the first two movies uh, because he wrote them as well and he, right. he was very invested. They dropped him and I think pretty much all the cast threatened to walk out if they didn't reinstate him. Solidarity. And they got him back. Uh, and it was all to do with, uh, you know, it was kind of such a cliche these days, but historical tweets from a very, very long time ago, which, oh, he, which yes. he had publicly subsequently apologised yeah. and stood back from. And um, I did read something about that. I suppose, as with the, all these things, it depends what he said, um, as well as when he said it. But I don't know how severe they were, so it's probably not the time. And well, it was enough that they they but listened to the pressure of their of all the cast and then re um you know re-employed yeah, him chance, so yeah. it can't, it can't uh, have been that bad then hopefully no i mean <coughs> yeah. yeah 
but anyway uh, yes yeah, so guardians of the galaxy is uh, a great movie uh, that has been chosen for friday the 2nd of september 8 40 p.m on bbc one uh one of the cast there is uh, also in this next movie yes because yes. we have the voice of bradley cooper I was but say we see a little bit more of yeah, bradley we, cooper in this one well, so well the, we get all of them so 11 yeah. 15 p.m on great movies limitless yes i thought this is really good it's a sort of sci- sci-fi kind of movie but set set more or less around about the the era that it's filmed in or possibly in the slightly um, not not very far off future mm. and it's about a guy who manages to maximize his brain power because the, the whole idea is that we don't use all of our brain all of the time um, and this is with a, a pharmaceutical hit he suddenly becomes limitless he's, he's able to do just about anything so he's a, a almost superhuman so instead of being a lazy author gosh aren't we all um, he's <laughs> as they're to, also known author yeah author or lazy author you know interchangeable phrases meaning the same thing yeah but uh, he manages to rattle out his book very quickly pleasing his agent uh, and in the meantime he starts doing stuff on the stock market and making money and uh, it becomes very charismatic uh, but there are you know as you probably gather with a movie like this he also crashes from time to time and if he doesn't take the pills it wears off so he becomes kind of addicted and uh, that is the premise that's it uh, Robert De Niro's in it as well um, and it's yeah it's good it's entertaining stuff and it's a, it's a, one of the more recent Robert De Niro films that doesn't stink uh, yes yes uh, one in ten probably is about yeah. the ratio because you know for a guy who, who used to do nothing but classic movies uh, he, he has certainly uh, let the uh, let the bar um, yes he used lower. to uh, agree to classic scripts and now he agrees, he agrees to classic checks or even limitless checks so, yeah. yeah you know I'll I'm, do anything as long as there's money I, be, I believe he's got an answer machine that just says yes I'll do it yeah I think he has uh, but, uh, but no he's Shame, really. but he's very good in this uh, again with Bradley Cooper he's, he's appeared with him a couple of times yeah and yeah uh, <clears throat> Yeah, he, he's very good, as is Anna Friel and Abby Cornish, who yes. sort of round out the principal cast uh, of Limitless. Uh, <clears throat> it went on to spawn a TV series as well. Yes, I've seen any of the TV series, but I think, was that short-lived or is it still running? I think it was short-lived, uh, yeah. but I believe that it, it followed a slightly different trajectory, but it did have Bradley Cooper in the pilot episode, uh. I think. Um, so uh, yeah which sometimes is he probably failed to read that paragraph when he signed the contract that said you know you need to be in the pilot episode of a spin-off or maybe just got offered a a blank check and just told how many zeros to add to it to to appear for one brief bit of the (laughs) pilot but anyway Limitless uh, is the movie from 2011 wow that's 11.15pm on Great Movies Saturday the 3rd of September let's move to Sunday the 4th of September and uh, we'll give you a clue here to see if you can guess this movie that's on 7pm on ITV4 Broadsword to Danny Boy. Broadsword to Danny Boy. <laughs> yes, I think many people, particularly men of a certain age, will immediately guess that it's Where Eagles Dare, um, the fabulous, uh, although rather um, insane war movie. Uh, so it's not a realistic war movie. We're not talking, you know, like a documentary here. We're talking um, boys on adventure stuff where Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood play members of um, the SOE and OSS, uh, respectively, so the American equivalent. And they have to parachute in with a team uh, behind enemy lines. They have to go into a castle uh, and uh, take uh, what was, well, I was going to say kidnap, but they're not actually kidnapping. They're rescuing an American general who has been taken by uh, the Germans. And there are plot twists galore. Uh, there are loads of shootouts and there are explosives, but there's also amazing set-piece scenes, most notably set on a cable car where people are fighting on top of it and they're potentially going to be thrown rather a long way to their deaths. Mm. So, yeah, it's just it's just fun, isn't it? I mean, I, I first saw this when I was seven years old at the cinema, you know, when movies used to get shown again, because I'm not that old, because it was, came, came out in 68. Sure. And I was absolutely knocked out as a child by this. I thought it was amazing. Obviously, far older and far more cynical, but I still enjoy this one because it I, is. I didn't even know you liked war movies. Well, I may have mentioned it in yeah. the past, you know. Uh, but, I mean, it's a long one. It's two hours, 38 minutes, no less, but it is good. It's gripping. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's great. great action. Burton's fabulous in it. Eastwood's really good in it. Yeah. Mary Yu is really good in it as well. And there's a whole strong support. Based on a story by Alistair McLean. Alistair McLean, yeah. Uh, and uh, I have heard that um, Clint, Clint Eastwood has, has spoken subsequently of this movie, and he, he refers to it as Where Doubles There, because apparently he's not in it very often. Oh, is he not? No, yeah. uh, Apparently, him and Burton—it's it, an awful lot of the movie is stunt yeah. doubles because I, of how dangerous a lot of climbing and, yep, and abseiling stuff. Yep. And 
Yeah. So uh, so yeah, he he always referred to it as where doubles there. You can imagine turning up on set, going, "Oh, you've got you've got a day off, lads. Don't worry." And Burton going, "Aha! Yeah, come with me, Clint. You know, pour pours whiskey, sits back." <laughs> yeah. oh, there was a lot of drinking going on between scenes. You can only imagine, <coughs> can't you? But uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's the classic movie where yeah. eagles there uh, from 1968. And that's on 7pm ITV4 on Sunday, the 7th of September. Uh, we move uh, to a war movie that uh, was sort of nearly 20 years later, but not set. Actually, no, probably set about 20 years later as well. Uh, because <coughs> uh, on Monday, the 5th of September, we have 10pm uh, on ITV4, Platoon. Yeah, well, actually, it's it's made in 86, but probably set around about 68. You know, with well, well I was saying, so, so it was yeah. made 20 years after where he yes. was there and probably set... 20 years later than where he was there. Uh, oh, I see the setting as opposed to the filming. I'm with you now. Gosh. You, yeah, but both are probably about yeah. 20 years apart, mm, aren't they? They are indeed. So uh, this one, uh, I mean, we were joking about me liking war films, and I do, but the, in many ways it is a massive contrast. So where Eagles Dare, at one point Clint Eastwood is firing two machine guns, one in each hand, and the, and the Germans are dropping like flies, and he's completely unbruised. Uh, Platoon is almost like a documentary in a way because... Uh, famously, the director Oliver Stone was the was not only a Vietnam War veteran, but he was the first um, director to direct a movie who was a Vietnam War veteran, particularly about Vietnam. And this really shook America and uh, obviously the UK, where I saw it as a teenager, uh, because it depicted uh, a kind of warts and all portrayal of what it was really like in Vietnam. And uh, it was really quite shocking the first time I saw it. Uh, it showed that. Not only was it very difficult for the Americans to get a toehold anywhere, but they struggled to spot the enemy. And it's been a recurring theme since in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, but I think in particular in Vietnam with all the jungle. And a lot of it had to be taken um, by foot soldiers going out on patrols, many of whom were just young men from poor backwaters in America, which is always the way with soldiers anyway. Um, And it was incredibly gritty. really quite moving and won loads of Oscars and launched a lot of actors like Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe, Charlie Sheen, um, Kevin Dillon was in it as well, Forrest Whitaker, Johnny Depp has a small part in it, John C. McGinley, uh, but it certainly launched Oliver Stone who went on to do Born on the 4th of July, Heaven and Earth, GFK, a bunch of other stuff. Mm. I could go on. Nominated for eight Oscars and it won four yeah. of them including Best Picture and Best yeah, Director. Exactly, it was a massive hit and it was a very low budget movie I think it cost 8 million dollars from memory at the time Okay, and he put all of the uh, cast through boot camp beforehand so they learned how to do this properly it's funny isn't it how um, how sort of seminal this movie was uh, you know that some perhaps would have I mean certainly when it came out at the time it was being like offered up as almost like the definitive Vietnam film yes it was as yeah. a as a 10 year old when this movie came out I don't think I'd heard of Vietnam before I don't think I'd yeah, heard of the Vietnam War this would have know. probably been my my introduction to it so it sort of surprised me to then discover that it was by no means the first movie about the Vietnam War no so War. the Deer Hunt is about uh, for example is just one and Apocalypse Now is also about Vietnam isn't it yeah they, they but they, I think, first blood, the the very first oh, the Rambo, Rambo movie, yeah, it's yeah. all about the aftermath and and what it was it like is, to come yeah. home. But I think this is the first one that went from the eyes of like what it's like to be what they call a grunt in a platoon, you know, just an average duel um, in an actual platoon in enemy territory, and completely accurate. Like there's so mm. many tiny little signs. Like at one point toward the end, um, after a bombing raid on their own um, camp. Uh, Charlie Sheen picks up a gun that he needs to use and he immediately looks down the barrel to make sure not not pierced down it but he looks at the barrel to make sure it's not clogged little tiny details like that that make you realise that the, the guy who's directing this was actually a soldier and went through this it added and, the uh, authenticity of it I suppose yeah and I think when you look at things like Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now they're very good movies but they're kind of artistic in a way they're an interpretation of war but not mm. horribly well not horribly realistic I mean the famous scene in Deer Hunter where they play Russian roulette probably never happened anywhere as far as we were aware. Um, you know, Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, played by Brando, is based on Conrad's Heart of Darkness. It's not really based yes, on it's a... Yes, it's set in a completely different place, It's not like Coppola it? went to Vietnam. No. And, you know, so I, they're both valid interpretations. They're good movies, but this is a guy who put his boots on the ground in Vietnam and brought that experience back and he made this movie. And even though it has been copied endlessly ever since with Mm. the various dialogue and the way they do things, it still stands out a mile. Yeah. Um, 
I remember somebody pointing out to me though that they they like determined to find a flaw in the movie, and there's a bit where one of the soldiers is looking at a Playboy magazine, and I remember a friend saying to me, "Oh yeah, but that magazine it said on," and he paused it when we were watching it, and he said, "It says 1971. This movie's supposed to be set in the 60s." Oh gosh! Uh, and so therefore, the yeah, whole yeah. thing was trash yeah. because of that one little little thing. There was a uh, there was a famous uh, uh, similarly uh, pedantic. Um, comment about Dunkirk, which is just an amazing movie. And at one point, Branagh takes his hat off, I think, when someone says, well, he never would have done that. You know, He's, <laughs> he's a warrant officer of whatever, and he never would have... That's ruined it like, for me. It's ruined the whole movie for you, has it? That he's removed his hat yeah. um, at the wrong moment, or what have you. And I thought, oh, really? And also, Platoon kind of launched, in a way, the whole slew of Vietnam films that came along loads, afterwards. They, yeah. so full Metal Jacket was got to be a year after, maybe? 1987, yep. yeah, it says here. Yeah, and Nord Kubrick, who's probably working on it for five years. Yeah, know, yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, the difference there being that Kubrick, as I understand it, didn't go anywhere near the Vietnam War. No, but he, well, he famously didn't even leave uh, the British Isles, did he? So he filmed a lot of it in the Isle of Dogs. Yeah. Instead of Vietnam itself or yes. the Philippines or whatever. And it looks convincing, but again, it's just a different, um, slightly more surreal um, viewpoint, I think. I think what I like about Platoon is just very realistic. Um, I mean, there are parts like, well, Willem Dafoe's death scene is possibly not very realistic. But with that exception, you feel like here is a guy who actually went there and he's telling you a story based on that sort of thing. Is it more realistic than the Chuck Norris missing in action movies? You don't, uh, that, that one has eluded me, but I'm guessing possibly. But I wouldn't say it to Chuck's face because I think you, he's legendarily a hard man, isn't he? Yeah, but he's 80-something <laughs> now. I think you'd probably be safe. Yeah, you I could, doubt you, it. I think he could still you. propel me across the room easily. <laughs> <laughs> He'd make you pay for the hip replacement afterwards. He would, he would. My uh, hip replacement probably that I'd need. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's Platoon, which is Howard's choice for... Uh, uh, Monday the 5th of September 10pm ITV4 uh, moving on to Tuesday the 6th of September 11.15pm on ITV2 Eastern Promises I remember this movie yeah it's good it's a David Cronenberg movie that's another example of him perhaps being out of his usual genre you know we talked about yes, directors because he does a lot of sort of gruesome horror type of things and yeah. this, this in a way is but it isn't his usual yeah, sort of shtick pretty graphic violence in it so in the fight scenes are pretty um, you know they didn't make you wince because yeah. of the injuries inflicted on people um, but uh, it's uh, basically it's um, it's set in London, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's about the Russian mafia being in London as well, and Viggo Mortensen um, is uh, the, the main guy in it, I suppose. And uh, ostensibly, it tells the story of Anna, played by Naomi Watts, who's a Russian-British midwife who delivers the baby of a drug-addicted fourteen-year-old Russian pro- Russian prostitute who dies in childbirth. After uh, later, Anna learns that the teen was forced into prostitution by the Russian mafia in London, and um, the uh, whatever. So she's, I guess, she's the innocent character pitched into that world, and we learn, you know, more about the Russian mafia as a consequence. But it's the charisma of the leading guys, in particular Viggo Mortensen, that, that stands out. Uh, Armin Mueller-Stahl plays the leader of the Russian gangsters, um, and there's a, a fair amount of, uh, you know set piece violence and fighting scenes one in particular in like a Turkish bath or whatever the Russian equivalent of a Turkish bath is yeah. um, where you know there's a they're fighting uh, and obviously they end wearing huge amounts so in a way they look even more vulnerable to things like knives because they're not clothed when they're fighting so yeah um, but it's pretty gritty stuff and it was a, from memory good movie I haven't seen it in a while but well worth another look no very good very very um, gritty dark compelling um, and a great performance from Viggo Mortensen as yeah. well and, and and this was sort of almost back to back he did two movies with David Cronenberg because uh, it, I think two <coughs> years before he did a film called The Hist- a History yeah. of Violence which was that, another out yeah. of type movie for it David was, and another one with quite uh, striking uh, well literally striking violence and in the fight scenes because but that's, that's that's I remember with that well. one, it didn't have much in the way of sort of violent scenes, but the scenes it had were yeah. very graphic. Yes, particularly toward the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it was there was a, was it like a fight in a diner, which you know some yeah. movies would almost that would almost be a comedic thing. That they did it in such a way that it was just wasn't that the opening scene more or less because that's what exposes Viggo Mortensen's character who's been in hiding for quite a while. Yes, and, it was. Uh, the, yeah, there's a he, big build up. Absolutely there? batters a couple of men with guns. Yeah, <laughs> but it took a while implements. because they, these guys came in and they're very menacing and yeah. they, they and, and then eventually he he. Sort 
sort of snaps and it had a, a build up a bit like a western that scene you yeah know, like you're pouring coffee and taking your time and then all of a sudden it erupts yeah yeah um not as gritty and violent as the next one though um you know i'm gonna put a trigger <laughs> i'm gonna put a trigger well, warning on you, our next you movie. are building up aren't you so I eastern am. promises tuesday the 6th yeah, of yeah. september 11 15 p.m on itv2 and then we we really ramp this up a we bit do. not we for do. the faint of heart no 6 15 p.m on film four Sense and sensibility for the for the famously and absurdly violent Jane Austen, mm. who, as we know, is uh, more concerned about whether someone has um, several carriages and ten thousand pounds a year, and whether someone will marry them. But yeah, uh, I, I laugh because you probably not think this is the kind of thing I'd like. But I thought Sense and Sensibility was a really good adaptation of a, a, a classic novel uh, by Ang Lee. Um, and it's based on the 1811 novel so uh, even I don't remember that but Emma Thompson got the Oscar for the screenplay she wrote it um, and she plays Eleanor Dashwood we have a young Kate Winslet because this is a 1995 movie playing her younger sister Marion and it basically follows the story of those sisters and the supporting uh, I was going to say supporting cast but the supporting chaps include Hugh Grant and Alan Rickman. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's a story about young women growing up in a world where, ultimately, Jane Austen's world was one of you either stayed at home with your mum or you went out and got married. And uh, It's yeah. a veritable who's who of British talent yeah, there, in there, isn't it? Tom it's, Wilkinson, Robert Hardy. The acting's really good, yeah. yeah. Robert Hardy's good in it. And, um, you know, the, as Imelda she, Staunton, um, uh, Hugh Laurie is in it. Yeah, oh, I'd forgotten Hugh Laurie was in it. Yeah, he's obviously hugely talented. But uh, yeah. So, yeah, and there was uh, this and Pride and Prejudice obviously captured the imagination back in the 90s and eventually there was the film version with Keira Knightley that we talked about a week uh, a few months ago. Hmm. <coughs> so, yeah, so this is, um, you know, a, 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 this kind of, I don't know, did, did this kind of give give a bit of a kickstart to Jane Austen again because I, suddenly there, there yes. seemed to be a lot of interest in, in adaptations of her work uh, in the mid-90s. Yeah. They did, and a lot of that, uh, you know, and also authors writing in a similar vein about a similar era, I think. Mm. A lot of BBC adaptations. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, Sense and Sensibility, which <laughs> is on uh, 6.15pm on Film 4, Wednesday the 7th of September. Uh, and uh, let's now move to uh, the to poor old Howard's dying in the background there. But, so but I'm trying to die quietly, he, sorry. He's a valiant trooper. Sorry, listeners, if you heard me cough. <laughs> the, 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 she doesn't mind. Uh, so we move to Thursday, the 8th of September, 10.15pm on BBC4. Absolute classic movie. Yes, another this change of This is tone. Spinal Tap. Yeah, the classic mockumentary, or even rockumentary. Um, it's uh, Rob Reiner. And uh, I mean, I think most people know what Spinal Tap is, but if you don't, um, it's a spoof <coughs> uh, supposedly following a band, an aging rock band called Spinal Tap, who go on tour and they are being interviewed a lot and they do all their songs. And the tour just goes from bad to worse, you know, smaller venues, venues that get lost in that they can't find the stage, things go wrong with the set that they're playing on. Um, at one point, they're booked in uh, second billing to a puppet show in uh, like a theme park thing uh, they play an REF base a US Air Force base sorry not an REF base um, and it's just a catastrophe this ageing band have been around for a while uh, and they fall out um, between themselves have rows about stuff you know girls and you know, billing and they get jealous of one another but it is all of it is just hilarious one scene after the classic scenes all of them I mean, if if you are a fan of things like The Office, um, uh, Peter Kay's Phoenix Nights, yeah. all of those things <clears throat> wouldn't exist if it weren't for this. The way that this do- plays it like a, a, a straight documentary, yeah, uh, it absolutely does. But I it's mean, hilarious. It is. It's it. They they don't. There is no canned laughter. There's no acknowledgement that they're saying anything that's absurd. There's no like kind of jokes as such. There's no, no. like one line. You can't even. It's not easy to the quote joke bits is really of the, that the members of Spinal Tap are basically pretty stupid and they yeah. take themselves very seriously and their rock their lyrics are hilarious mm. I mean some of which would not be probably allowed to pass anymore no thanks to sensitivity and all that but um, they're you know they're sexist because they weren't all heavy metal bands back then well yeah know, there, there's a lot of misogyny but only yeah. reflective of, of the era and of, yeah, yeah. of the, the and it, people it, they were what Spinal Tap is doing is they're taking the mick out of these guys by doing it themselves yeah in, in hilarious ways yeah and so, and, I, and then I they was, became big because they became a, an actual band who played places like Glastonbury and they weren't you know they reformed the band that was a fake band 
to play a rock festival yeah. for years. And one of the one of the funniest things about Spinal Tap that I ever heard was that Ozzy Osbourne was absolutely convinced that they supported him on tour once. He was absolutely, apparently, he was absolutely convinced that he goes, but I've worked with them. He says, I've done, I've yeah. done stuff with them. They, they, they supported me. Kel surprise. Yeah. Ozzy's a little confused. Yeah. Uh, apparently, lots of bands come up to them and say, how did you know that happened to us? Yeah. And particularly the bit where they, if you remember, they, they're ready to go on stage and they're walking around backstage trying to find the door that will let them go on stage to the point where they go around in circles several times and meet janitors and eventually they sort of, open the door and go hello Cleveland oh we're not, we're not here no sorry but several bands have gone well we got lost behind the scenes yeah. you heard about that yeah and they're like no mate we made it up but yeah it sounds like it could have happened to you as well oh yeah and, and it's 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 something that, that yeah there's so much of it where you just fit, it feels so real yeah and 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 I gather some of it was insight that they'd heard stories and rumours and legends and things over the years. Some of it, they just got very lucky with something they thought would be funny. And it turned out people were saying that happened to yeah. us. But, but yeah. And if, you know, the, um, the, the, there's a lot of lines I can't quote because, you know, A, spoiler alert, <laughs> B, I can't act and C, we probably wouldn't be allowed to quote them. Yeah. But the one I do like is when, you know, they talk about uh, the manager says, look, I think today was just a disaster because the band were down. And the lead singer says, I don't think the problem was that the band that it was that the band went down. I think the problem is that there was a piece of Stonehenge scenery that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. <laughs> because they got the dimensions wrong. Do you remember? They yes. this, it should be massive. Yeah, they, and they, it's lowered in behind them or in front of them even yeah. and it's tiny because they got feet and inches confused. Yeah. And the dwarf kicks it over at one point when he's dancing on stage. But just so. one one of many, many, many bits. And yeah. and there's so much going on. It's not just it's not just the script, it's what you see. There's so many visual jokes in it as well. Yeah. And and it is just hilarious. And every time I've watched it, and, and I must have watched it maybe half a dozen times now, oh, you see something you. you didn't see before and, yeah. and it it's a gift that gives on giving. Little things like Artie Fufkin when he introduces himself half a dozen times and he tells everybody he's like he walks into a room with several people and he goes Artie Fufkin Polymer Records and he says it again and again and again and at the end when he's finished they put a little caption on like you do in documentaries and it says Artie Fufkin Polymer Records you know <laughs> I think we know that already yeah and and it's amazing <clears throat> as well I, I was genuinely impressed with their accents because they're yeah. all playing English uh, rock stars and yeah. and I was when I first watched it, I was astounded to subsequently discover that they were all American. But didn't one of them inherit yes the title in England? Yes, uh, so one of Curtis's. Yeah, so Christopher Guest Christopher is now Guest. Lord Hayden Guest yeah. um, because he inherited a title, so it's he's actually an English lord, and she's yeah. a lady. Um, I'm they haven't done some sort of spoof mockumentary about that actually. Well, because they, they have done <clears> a few <throat> other ones yeah, to, have, to yeah. sort of varying there was a folk degrees one. of success. There was one about folk music, yeah, I yeah, and one about the film industry that was quite good. And there's one about I think dog, big dog shows. I haven't seen that one. They're, they're, they've done a few yeah. other types of things, not the, not with the same success. The, the movie one was that. good. It was about a, a, a filmmaker who graduates, and his graduation movie gets him a deal, and off he goes, and he leaves his mate behind, who I think is played by Christopher Guest, right? And he and he goes off and just you know turns into a typical yeah. Hollywood idiot. Um, and learns a lesson yeah. like they do don't they in these movies but I mean there's even little things in this movie like the fact that one of them's got um, he's got cold sores around his mouth and uh, and then later on you see one of the other guys in Spinal Tap he's also got cold sores around his mouth <laughs> that weren't there earlier and, and you know there's implications about what might have been going on yes. in between bits that they were filming I can filming. imagine in the rock world yeah yeah, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah but it, it, it sends it up beautifully it, it's such an entertaining movie and the best thing of all for fans of Spinal Tap it's coming back there is a Spinal Tap 2 coming out in oh 2024. Well, Rob Reiner hope, and, and the original cast are getting back together. Right. Let's hope it is the best thing and we don't just watch it and go, oh no. No, 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 no. It's going to be the best thing. Positive Let's mental positive. attitude. Yes, all it's, right then. It's marking the 40th anniversary of the original wow. and it's the sequel to the legendary rock mockumentary that put the film wow. company on a, rock, on a run of success, it says here. But I, I, I kind of think it can't go wrong because, because it's going to... If you think about it, a lot of the people they were lampooning at the time, those some of those people have had careers subsequently have carried on. You know the mm. the Rolling <clears throat> Stones and, and and a lot of the others. They yeah. still got. They, there's plenty more gold and then their there hills is. that they can mine. You no, know, you're right. There is. That's. I'm, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There's another movie that I always think of as a companion piece to this, but it's completely different in its style. But have you ever seen the film Almost Famous? 
Oh, yeah, um, years ago, I think. Yeah, Cameron Crowe, is that? That's it, yeah. yeah, yeah. His story. Yeah. It's sort of semi-autobiographical. Because he went on tour, didn't he, as a young man with a band. Yes. That's what he kind of wrote that about, yeah. That's it. And so it's a fictionalised yeah. thing about a young guy who goes on tour with a, with a fictional band, mm. but all the other bands and all the other settings are real. Oh. And and it's it's absolutely brilliant. And, and there's a great bit where the band in the, in the movie are being talked to by a, a new young manager who's played by Jimmy Fallon, the American talk show host. And he's saying to them, look, you've got to listen to me, guys, because, you know, you, you need an out, you know, with this career. You know, you need you need to have a strategy. He says, you can't, he says, do you think Mick Jagger's going to be carrying on? He's in his 40s. Do you think? That? And, and it's, it's great. But there's so many of these sorts of insights into what it was like behind the scenes of, of touring with bands like that in the 70s. And, and yeah. it was based on, um, yeah, Cameron Crowe was the writer-director. It was yeah. his own life. And, I don't uh, think I've seen it all the way through. That's why I was hesitant. I'm sure I've seen clips, but I haven't actually seen Francis the movie. Francis McDormand plays his mother, and ah. she's great. Because one of the really funny things of that movie is she lied to him about his age uh, because he was very, very bright. So she, ah. she, so he thought he was two years older than he really was. Really? And he thought he was 17, and he finds out he's 15. Oh, wow. And he, he sort of, so this kid's starting to think, well, no wonder everyone looks different than me in the showers. No wonder the, you know, these ah. things. He ah. never ah. knew he was only fifth. He was two years younger than oh, he actually was. Well, and it's because he was so it? bright. They sort of pushed him. So when he's out on tour with this band, he's 15. a 15-year-old boy. Wow. Uh, and he gets introduced to all these groupies, and he gets introduced to, to, to a whole lifestyle that just blows his mind. Crikey. And he gets a job for Rolling Stone magazine writing about it yeah, and, yeah. and he's 15 and uh, and yeah apparently it's it's based roughly on, on the guy's on his, own life his own life yeah anyway, wow co- completely different film to the one we're talking about yep. Spin- this is Spinal Tap yep. Thursday the 8th of September 10.15pm on BBC4 Howard Linsky if you had to choose one yeah, of these movies well, as your um, movie of the week, which one would I it be? I think we, we've talked a lot about it, and I think we'll stick with Spinal Tap. <laughs> we'll give that one out to the world. See, if I'd have put money on it, it would have been between that and Platoon. <laughs> yeah. It's, Oliver Stone will be quite grumpy, no doubt, that his true-to-life story, which is very, very moving, yeah. has been slightly ousted by Spinal Tap. Apparently. Yes, yes. Uh, an almost documentary getting ousted by a mockumentary. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this is Spinal Tap. is Howard's film choice. Thank you, Howard. You're very welcome. Uh, Howard does have two books coming out this very month and uh, we will hear Howard elsewhere on the St Albans podcast uh, talking about both of those books. One of them is called The Bodyguard and yes. is out already? Yes, it is. It's out. Um, it's about, uh, a guy, I wrote it with a guy who was Princess Diana's bodyguard amongst many other things and he's had an amazing life. He's been all over the news because of that uh, on Good Morning Britain. Okay, uh, and and your your other book is a fiction book, isn't yes, it? Yes. So this one's the inheritance. This is the latest crime novel that I've written for Penguin Crime Fiction Novel. So yeah, hope Penguin. Oh, never heard of them. Pen- you may have heard of them. They're an up and coming publisher. Right. Okay. Small at the moment, but I'm yeah. sure they'll be big one day. Yeah. Well, now we've mentioned them on here. <laughs> Thanks for giving them a plug. Yeah, I appreciate no, look, it. that's quite alright. <laughs> uh, but no, listen out for Howard elsewhere on the St Albans podcast to talk more about those books. But in the meantime, uh, Howard Linsky, thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Next week on the old. Um, uh, St Albans Film Guide it is the turn of Chris Aikman with producer Sam uh, we'll catch you real soon take care